today, as Alex said, we're discussing the importance of reviewing, revising an existing estate plan regularly. So why is it essential? You know, you made the plan. Now the, the next step is to leave this mortal coil. What, what's there to do in between? Well, depends on what has happened in between. Generally speaking, the reason you're reviewing it is you want to make sure there's not changes that affect what you are trying to do. So you've got a goal. The documents are supposed to get you there. If there was a legal change or a personal change, you may find that it falls off the cliff before getting to your goal. So the whole point is to make sure it keeps working. Nobody has a boiler and doesn't do maintenance on it. Kind of the same thing. You want to make sure the mechanism, the mechanics, are always going to work the way you want. Welcome to the Will in the Way podcast, a podcast about making estate planning simple and accessible with fun stories, delightful soapbox rants, and more educational resources than you can imagine. Each week, we deliver the best insights and practical advice on wills, trusts, and how to protect what's important to you. Now here's your host, attorney Alexandra Jackson. Welcome to A Will and A Way, where we discuss estate planning topics. Today is Don't Be a Stranger, Reviewing and Revising Your Estate Plan. All right. And our expert today, as always, Alexandra Jackson, uh, estate planning attorney extraordinaire. Uh, I'm Christian Terrison, another attorney at Jackson & McNichol, though I do not practice estate planning law, so I get to, to learn along with the audience but anyway, today, as Alex said, we're discussing the importance of reviewing, revising an existing estate plan regularly. So why is it essential? You know, you made the plan. Now the, the next step is to leave this mortal coil. What, what's there to do in between? Well, depends on what has happened in between. Generally speaking, the reason you're reviewing it is you want to make sure there's not changes that affect what you are trying to do. So you've got a goal. The documents are supposed to get you there. If there was a legal change or a personal change, you may find that it falls off the cliff before getting to your goal. So the whole point is to make sure it keeps working. Nobody has a boiler and doesn't do maintenance on it. It's kind of the same thing. You want to make sure the mechanism, the mechanics, are always going to work the way you want. Uh, I was going to say, I've known some boiler service guys, and maintenance is not as widespread as one would hope <laughs> in a state where it's regularly very cold for a good chunk of the year. So how frequently would you recommend, you know, people are, are doing a formal review of their estate plan? If I wake up and I want to change a bequest or something like that, do I run on down to my estate planning attorney's office and, you know, have them hop on the clock and make a change or? So I generally, well, yes, is the answer to that hypothetical. If you want to make a change, you should make the change. But I can't just tell it to somebody. And No, Christian, do not do that to me. And don't DIY it. Changing the estate plan is the thing where people always mess up. You have no idea what writing on these documents does to them. You can make the messiest, nastiest nightmares out of that. So never write on your original documents. 
because you don't know what that does legally. Um, go see whoever did it in the first place, update it with them. If you used a form of some sort, statutory form only, statutory form only, use that same one again. But generally, I recommend people look at it every th three years, regardless of what's happened in between, or big life events. So birth, death, divorce, marriage, adoption, anything that's going to really impact the workings, you know, of somebody or incapacity, somebody named in the document or who should be named in the document. Now, for what I tune into legal podcasts for, give us a good horror story. What's a, you know, a real life scenario where somebody failed to, to revise and what happened? So this one was not as horrific as it could have been, but I was doing a probate, which means somebody died, right? And we were probating his will. And in the will, there were two things that were problematic. Well, there was one thing that was a problem, and there was one thing that could have been a problem and wasn't. There was a vehicle accident. Husband died, wife survived. His will left his firearm collection to his father, who was also a hunting enthusiast. Problem. Maine law has an anti-lap statute which says, if you give somebody a gift and they're related to you in XYZ way, we presume that you would want the gift to go to their heirs rather than falling into the residue, what's called lapsing. That's why it's called an anti-lapse statute. So, who are the heirs of his father, Christian? Oh, dear. I yes. I okay. He's one of them. So, here we go. We have a gift to somebody who's deceased which is then inherited by his children, one of whom is deceased. So what does that mean? That means that his sister owns half of his firearm collection, and his four children, of whom three are minors, are entitled to the rest of it equally. As you can imagine, that's not a really fun time. The sister did end up renouncing the firearm gift, so... Oh, it only went to the minor children? No, because there was one adult child. <laughs> oh. Joking. As a practical matter, mother, who was guardian and conservator, ends up with the guns for the three children. But it's just, it's ridiculous, right? Like, that's one of those things that it would have been better if the gift just went away rather than leaving it to somebody who is dead, who then is split between all these family members in this ridiculous way. Because also, remember, somebody has to sign off for minors to renounce things. So, still has all of them, and nobody's refusing them. But one of the minor children, I'm told, does have an interest in hunting. And so, when he comes of age, he is going to be the one getting all of them. With renunciations from his siblings when they're of age. But it's just ridiculous stuff like that. The other was, and this could have been nasty. Obviously, husband and wife were both in the same accident. Wife survived. But in looking at the document with her, all of the people named as guardians were dead. Mm. So her parents were dead. His parents were dead. They were the ones who were named. That's not good. That would mean that the next person in line, like priority-wise, is usually their sibling. Mm. Who, when I say was an adult, 20, sophomore in college. Adults, legally. But not like 
adult society right. for most part. When you're in school, you don't want to be dealing with all of that. I wouldn't have wanted to. If somebody had told me I had to look after my three minor siblings as a college sophomore, I would have probably stroked out on the spot. But, you know, that could have been really nasty. Mm. Could have been really nasty. And the good news was, wasn't. She lived. But all of that stuff could just evolve into a legal nightmare where everybody's trying to figure out who's going to do this, you know, priority and renunciation and all of that. It's not a fun time. You talked a little bit about, you know, how personal life events can trigger the need to re review and revise for an estate plan. What about, you know, changes in the laws, you know, and in particular, like tax laws, is that a reason that anybody would want to go in yeah. take a second look? No, that's absolutely a reason. Maine did a big sweeping change of their probate laws in 2019. Since the last one was in like the 80s, I'm not expecting there's going to be another one for like the next 40 years. But stuff like that happens. Transfer on death deeds, brand new in 2019. Useful tool for estate planning. Something most people don't know about because they never think about it and they don't look it up. I mean, who sits there and reads the probate code? Even I haven't read the whole thing start to finish. I just look at the important stuff when I need it. Taxes also. We were talking in a previous episode about estate taxes and uh, how those can affect the way that you leave things to people. Uh, Secure Act, which we mentioned in that same episode, you know, changed the time of which you have to withdraw from accounts. So it can absolutely... Uh, sometimes wreck, sometimes improve an estate plan. But big legal changes, normally that's why you have an attorney. They're going to be updating you on that. Gotcha. Now, this is something that you hadn't mentioned yet either uh, as far as things that can, can trigger the need to review an estate plan. What about changes in your own financial situation? So mm -hmm. either liquidating or acquiring assets, taking on debt, different significant financial transactions? It depends on how you set the estate plan up. So sometimes that may not have any effect. But for example, if you left the house to somebody and you sold your house, you need to look at whether you need to take that out or substitute something else. If you go broke, but you gave away $2 million in assets, you need to look at whether you want to consolidate the recipients down because that's a lot of people who are probably getting a dollar at best, if anything. So it should really always match your current circumstances. And that may also be time to do lifetime gifting or other planning, depending on what the asset is. And what do you mean by lifetime gift? So instead of waiting until you're dead, you might want to give something to somebody while you are still alive, possibly for tax reasons, possibly for ease of moving the asset. It just depends on what it is. All right. And then similarly, like what about changes in value? I know the housing market has been ridiculous here in Maine over the last three years. Like if I had to buy the house I live in today, couldn't afford it. Should people be taking another look at their estate plans, you know, because their, you know, family home is appreciated in value or? For the most part, because value fluctuates, unless it is truly dramatic and you want to like, so for example, the house was worth a hundred thousand. You wanted it to be sold and all the money given to Marjorie, but now the house is worth a million dollars, which is entirely possible in May, right? 
And you think, well, if I've got a million dollars, then I should give it to more than just Marjorie. Because I love her, but, you know, Samantha could use some too. Yes. But given it, it really depends on how dramatic it is. And it depends what type of ass is and what you were planning to do the, to begin with. You know, if your will says everything to my wife and then everything to my kids, and, you know, that's still what you want to do. There's no reason to change it, even if you end up with more. But if you want to start adding charitable giving or something else, yeah, you should absolutely have a look at and make changes. And while I'm something of an estate planning neophyte, I know this next question is going to trigger a soapbox. <laughs> soapbox market. Yes. Can you discuss the role of beneficiaries in the estate plan and the importance, here it comes, of updating beneficiary designations on account and insurance policies? So here's something I had to read in law school. And the question is, how much do you love your ex-wife? Answer, usually not that much because that's why they're your ex. That's some really interesting couples where that's not true. But for the most part, if you have divorced somebody, you should remove them as a beneficiary. One of the cases I actually had to read in law school was a fight between mother and ex-wife. Ex-wife is the named beneficiary. Ex-wife gets all the money. Period. Was this what the dead guy wanted? Probably not. They'd been divorced for like 10 years. Like, this was not recent in any way. So you could have a massive, not a miscarriage of justice, not really a justice sort of thing at this point, but it's not going to match what you wanted to do. Your goals have gone completely off track. People you do not necessarily love are getting your money. This is not a good result. So it is really important to check and update your beneficiaries. The other way you can do this without necessarily not loving somebody and wanting them to inherit anymore is if you have only a deceased person as your beneficiary or you name it to your estate, you have significant tax consequences in So we talked about you've got a limited period for retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. You got to liquidate the whole thing. Can't be paid to it. Mm -hmm. An estate can't have a retirement. So you can accidentally trip a significant amount in taxes. Mm -hmm. I do. And I know this particular episode has been filled with pitfalls and dangers already. But I guess what are some of the, I guess, greatest hits of, of pitfalls when, when people's estate plans grow stale? I'd say the number one I see is somebody dies and they aren't removed. Whether that's as a beneficiary or from a document, somebody's death is usually more problematic than any other thing. Because a lot of legal mechanisms would still give them whatever they were intended to get under the will. Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier the firearms. We talked about the retirement accounts. Divorce also is an obvious big one. Some states will save you a little bit in that when you divorce somebody, they will like assume you don't want them in the will anymore. But like I said, beneficiaries, it doesn't work like that. So usually it is death. Sometimes it's divorce. Those are the top ones, I would say. You can see it a little bit with children, too. If you've named certain children but not others, the other children are usually called pretermitted, and they are still entitled to a share, generally, on the assumption you'd want them to have it, but they need, like, their own counsel practically appointed, like a guardian ad litem or somebody to represent them in the estate planning. 
which is obviously messier than you usually wanted it to be. So how about the evolution or introduction of new estate planning tools and strategies? Do those impact the need for people to revisit theirs? Absolutely. So the transfer on death deed I talked about in 2019, big game changer for a lot of people. A lot of folks in Maine really only needed to do probate because the real estate title had to be cleared. Transfer on death, don't have to go through probate, still does the transfer of the real estate. So you can make some things stern less expensive than you should. That's just one of those things. Um, it is important to take advantage of new tools as they come out. Obviously, in some cases, untested is not what you need, but uh, in a lot of cases, you can benefit from new things. That's important advice for Mainers, at least as I know us. Yep. Um, yep. How about, this is something that we haven't really touched on in this episode, but the importance of keeping healthcare directives, powers of attorney, and those types of things. This has a lot of the same consequences, but I guess I'd say more immediate, or at least while you probably care about it. If you've got your ex-wife named your power of attorney, like, buddy, please. Now, your power of attorney does have a financial duty to you, a fiduciary duty, in fact. But sorting out that mess is going to be unpleasant unless they voluntarily, you know, refuse to serve. So it is... don't do that. Don't leave somebody as your power of attorney or your agent for your healthcare directive, if they're not part of your life anymore. That's just like a bad idea generally. I can't imagine getting that call. Oh, and so I was in the hospital. My ex-husband of 20 years? Yeah, you're listed. Great, not. Good luck. Also, as particularly for advanced healthcare directives, as your wishes change over the years, you want to reflect that. So if you've changed funeral or burial plans or company that has the prepaid plan has changed, whatever, it's much easier on your family if you update. And I know that you had said sort of three years or a major life event or an estate plan, you know, to, to review an estate plan. Is there a different sort of timeline for trust? So that really depends on the type of trust. Generally, I would count a revocable living trust in with estate planning documents generally, so I'd keep it on the same timeline. If you have an irrevocable trust, you might not be able to update it at all, so there might be no purpose in looking at it. But your trustee should probably be looking at it, because your trustee needs to know if an irrevocable trust needs to file taxes every year. Mm. Because obviously... Well, not obviously. I didn't know this until I took tax class. But you don't actually have to file unless you owe money. However, you should be aware of whether or not you have to file and whether or not you owe money. Because the consequences of not paying your taxes are really bad. Mm-hmm. Bad. Anyway, speaking of soapboxes. But yeah, there's reasons you might not look at something that is considered an estate planning document. And it might be that you don't have the ability to change it. But as a general rule, I think most can go on that. If there's not a huge legal update and you don't have big life changes, three years is usual. So John Q. Client comes in to review their estate plan. 
I guess, walk me through the process a little bit. What kinds of things should they come prepared with? What kinds of questions are you going to be asking them? You know, is it just they come and sit down and say, yeah, everybody's alive and they're out the door or can it be more involved? So as a general rule, yes. When we've spoken to a client and they say, no, all these people are still alive. They're still in my life. I don't want to make any changes. That's really it. We say, great, you're golden. And then we contact you again in three years. Every three years. But if a client looks at their documents and says, no, I need to make changes. Well, it depends on what kind of changes you need to make. So we start with, okay, it's always about the goal. What's your goal? And then how do we get there from where we are? If they just need to change a beneficiary or, you know, make other kind of minor changes, you know, somebody got married, they changed their name, somebody moved. We generally will just say, okay, well, give us the info. We'll make the changes. You look it over, make sure it's right. We'll do a new signing. If you need to change the document, so if you had a will, but now a revocable living trust makes more sense, that's going to be more involved. That's more like starting the estate plan from scratch because you are reinventing the wheel at that point. You are saying, okay, well, we had this perfectly good mechanism, but your circumstances have changed. So we need to make sure as we transition it's still going to match what you were trying to do the first. And I guess in where you are making changes, how do you let the interested parties? Generally speaking, I recommend telling them if you have made any sort of significant change or more importantly, a significant change from what they understand to be true. So if you have changed the person, you should tell the person if they're alive that you're removing, that they are being removed, and you should tell the new person that they're being appointed. If you have completely changed your mind about who is getting stuff, and you told, you know, trustee one, I'm leaving everything to my kids, and then you decided I'm leaving it all to the dog first, you should tell trustee one, I've changed my mind, it's all going to the dog first, so that they're not surprised and confused when they look at the document, and they're supposed to be doing work, and it doesn't look anything like what they're told. You always want it to match what you're telling everybody. It's got to be consistent. Otherwise, they're going to think they've got the wrong They're going to think there's a problem and it needs to be, you know, thrown out. Yeah. This was fraudulent of some sort. I mean, probably not with your dog. But, like, if you right. disown a child and you don't tell somebody you've disowned them and you don't say, like, hey, we had a falling out or there's a drug problem or whatever the reason is, they are much more likely to think that there's an issue. And it is much more likely to become an issue for the family than if you say, no, here's what happened. I made these changes. You should know that. So we have Jane Doe. She hasn't looked at her estate plan in 15 years. Is totally disinclined to what is the most compelling argument that you make to her to bring her back into the fold and get her estate plan up to date. You did these documents in the first place because you love these people or these charities or whoever you are leaving things to. And you wanted to make things easy and clear and simple. Do not make a mess because you weren't willing to look at it again. We talked about it earlier. The unintended consequences of things left unchanged can be beyond your scope of imagination. I do not think that 
the gentleman who died had any idea what a mess he was going to make for his wife because he left his dad in. I do not think either of them had ever thought about the fact that all the people they named to be guardians and conservators for their kids were dead. And I don't think they ever thought about what they would do, practically speaking, because nobody was thinking about dying at that particular point. But do not let the reason you've done all this hard work, do not let it go to waste because you didn't look at it again. And on those words, we'll wrap up another exciting episode of A Will in the Way. Please subscribe and be sure to tune in next week. See you then. Thanks for joining us this week on The Will in the Way podcast. Make sure to visit our website, jacksonestateplanning.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.